Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Eitan Shishkov. Now Eitan, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Sure. Uh, Well, from my accent, you will readily uh, identify that I was born in the United States um, and came to faith in 1972 while my wife and I were living on a hippie commune uh, in the high mountains of North America. Um, And uh, we came to faith four years later uh, through the uh, tragic murder of a close friend at the hands of a, a, a stranger. And um, God gave me a supernatural vision and encounter where I saw Jesus, Yeshua, on the cross. And uh, he, he reached every, every longing of my heart. I gave, gave my heart to him at that time in 1972. And uh, subsequent to that, the Lord restored our Jewish heritage. My wife was born Jewish through both her mom and dad. My mom was Jewish. And uh, we saw the incredible um, unified reality of the covenants of God. And uh, that led us back to celebrate our, our faith in Yeshua as Jews, uh, together with our Gentile brothers and sisters. And um, in 1992, we moved to Israel uh, to fulfill God's calling uh, upon the Jewish people to return to this land, and particularly to return as Messianic Jews and to participate in this end-time restoration of faith in the Messiah, which is to accompany the physical restoration. And for people that listen to this, and they think, I like this Eitan, I want to find out more about him, see what he's doing, where could they do that? Well, um, the the ministries that I serve are represented on a couple of websites. Um, The congregation that the Lord allowed us to establish uh, with a small network that was planted out of it uh, is called Tents of Mercy. So they could could find out some of what I've been involved with at tentsofmercy.org. And then uh, over the last five years, I've been pursuing uh, a vision that we call Fields of Wheat, Uh, the inspiration behind that is to draw together and to serve uh, the youth of Israel, uh, both Jews and Arabs who love Jesus, uh, into youth camps and young adult discipleship. And we're looking toward establishing a facility in northern Israel. But meanwhile, uh, we're busy equipping the young people. That's called Fields of Wheat. And that website is similar, fieldsofwheat.org. Okay, and I will put those links in the description box. So if you're listening, they're there ready for you to go and check out. Well, we could go in many directions from what you said. You know, my, my heart's going, oh, let's find out more about this, find out. But we can only do so much in one podcast. <laughs> so before we start leaping into all those directions, um, can you take us back a bit before that? So you can you tell us a bit about your upbringing? Of course. Because your parents... Did we, did you grow up Orthodox? How, how, what happened? Uh, no, I'm the product of a mixed marriage. My mother no. was Jewish. My father was not. 
and their meeting point was humanism. Uh-huh. So I, I, I really grew up neither as a Jew nor a Christian. And um, in my home, the idea of there being a creator God to whom we were accountable was just non-existent. And, and that type of religion was thought of as being, you know, kind of like mythology, legends, you know, something that people use as a crutch. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, my dear mother, who was a, a powerful intellectual liberal thinker and educator uh, when I did come to faith. And I wrote that uh, dramatic letter that I wish I could take back and express in a different way. It said, (laughs) mom, I've accepted Jesus. He's the way, the truth and the life. And you need to do the same thing. She wrote back and said, you know, Oh, that, that religion is just a crutch. So I grew up in that environment, but I grew up with a spiritual hunger. I remember in my teenage years, um, reading a book about the religions of the world. I was, I was drawn even then to Eastern mysticism. Uh, but as I came through high school and, and into college, uh, my, my focus became the war in Vietnam, which at the time in the 1960s was uh, a very uh, central facet uh, of, of American politics and culture. And I was, I was very set against it. So much so that I, um, I did a whole lot of things to try to, to protest and stop a, some of them illegal, um, and in the end became very disillusioned um, that my, my activity was not really bringing much change. And by that time, I was, I was uh, being drawn toward uh, this uh, sort of back-to-the-land lifestyle that, that people were I think that it was a, I think it was an alternative that that other young people like myself were feeling like there's a need for more radical change in our lives, and we're not achieving it by our protest movements. And I think that is echoed in today's young people too. There's a need for change and to be more radical in our lives, but won't won't jump too far down that road yet. So. So you grew up like that, and then you had an encounter with Yeshua. That's yes, a very dramatic one. Oh, let's hear about Around, it. Yeah, rather <laughs> tragic circumstances. Yeah, let's hear about it. Well, to set the stage, we had been living, uh, as I said, in the high mountains of, uh, of North America in the Southwest uh, for about four years. My wife and I were married in January of 69. We immediately took off from California where I had been raised and where we were married. Uh, And, uh, and we wound up outside of uh, a large mountain range in the state of New Mexico in in the United States and actually had our honeymoon in a cave, um, which is um, a fun part of our story because I I look back on that and uh, it doesn't sound romantic, but it was very romantic. Um, and uh, actually, uh, because it was winter time, we had a, a small wood stove to keep us warm. Uh, but as those four years unfolded, uh, we were learning to grow our, our own food. And it was, it was quite a, a process. We were suburban kids, uh, but very motivated, worked hard. And, uh, and still, um, our, I would say our spiritual composition was kind of a a potpourri 
of uh, um, Eastern mysticism, kind of a, a Buddhist, uh, how, how should I say it? You know, pretending to be, trying to, to be what we imagined it would be like to be a Buddhist. Uh, together with nature worship, I was really uh, fell in love with the, with the natural world because we were living unprotected, in a sense, in close close contact with nature. Watched the seasons, was really inspired. Wrote poetry about it, um, and then also uh, a sprinkling of of Native American mythology, uh, which kind of is the idea of the sacredness of creation. But of course, as the scripture says, um, uh, you know, Paul talks about uh, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. So at that point, I'd say I was worshiping creation. And then this uh, terrible tragedy happened in which a very close friend, we weren't on the same commune at the time, we had lived uh, in close cooperation before then, loved him, loved his wife very much. My wife helped to deliver their little baby way up in the mountains. And um, a stranger came through uh, and for no good reason at all, uh, put a bullet in the back of his head. And the senselessness of that and the abrupt uh, shattering of, of our idealistic concept of what we were doing, feeling naively that, that really uh, we, could, we could create a, a new society with, without such bad things, that was destroyed. And at that point, I, I cried out to heaven. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know if there was a God. But I basically said, <laughs> okay, if you exist, you know, this is, this is a good time to show up because I don't have any answers and I'm, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty ticked off, you know, at what has happened here. I don't, I don't get it. And the response of the eternal God in his amazing love was to send some young Jesus people. Back in those days, we're talking 1972, um, people from within the kind of hippie uh, milieu uh, were, were getting saved, were coming to faith in Jesus, and they were immediately talking about it. So these guys were brand new believers. Uh, they looked a lot like us. They had long hair and kind of hip. So we listened, you know, while they, they spoke the gospel one night over our typical uh, meal of tortillas and beans way up there in the mountains. We learned about food from the Spanish-speaking neighbors uh, that we had uh, worked with and, and, uh, and grew to love. Suddenly, I'm not seeing my family or my partner's family in the room. I'm awake, uh, but I'm seeing this figure with arms outstretched. And of course, I, I knew that it was Jesus. I didn't know his Hebrew name at the time. And, uh, and he locked eyes with me. And he was in the agony of, of, of this torturous death. But what he communicated through his eyes was this. I see your intense longing for, to be a pure soul. I see that you have failed in your own eyes to achieve that. I see that you have tried many things. Uh, that you've tried to simplify your life, that you've investigated, and uh, but 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 I am the truth that you're seeking, and I'm and I'm hanging here for you. I'm bearing your failure, 
and but I love you. It, it, it wasn't accusatory. It was it was so incredibly redemptive, and he was inviting me. He was inviting me with more love than I'd ever experienced. So I come out of this vision. The, these these two guys, these Jesus people, I had no idea what I'd just experienced, nor had my my farming buddy uh, or our wives. And the next thing I heard was, so do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, <laughs> I just seen him. So what else was I going to do? You know, I wouldn't be honest to my own experience if I said, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. So I said, yes. So they said to me and to my farming buddy, it turned out later secretly, our wives had already prayed a prayer of salvation. But my buddy, who was also Jewish, uh, and I knelt down on the dirt floor of that cabin high in the mountains and, uh, and repeated the sinner's prayer and invited Jesus into our hearts. It turned out that uh, my buddy became a major leader in the modern messianic movement, has written five books and uh, spoken um, in many countries around the world. And um, the Lord used both of our lives. You know, he took, he took a couple of dirt clods uh, you know, kids, he was also from the suburbs of LA, you know, a couple of, uh, suburban kids from outside of LA and, you know, and, uh, picked us up and washed us off and said, okay, well, I guess I can use you guys. His, so who's he, the buddy? I want to know who the buddy is. His name, his name is Russell Resnick. Oh, no. And, uh, he's, he's been the, um, uh, uh, the, the, what do they call it? General director of the union of Messianic Jewish congregations. And now he's the, the rabbinic chaplain uh, for that organization and uh, has written wonderful, wonderful books. I actually just wrote an article based on one. Uh, it's called a life, a life of favor. It's about the, uh, see, I got to get this right in the camera. It's, <laughs> I have the, there, that, there. that's it. Yeah. That, that, yeah. There you go. So um, you had to seek favor from the uh, Zoom settings. There, so. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> because because he uh, eventually earned a, a master's in counseling and has been a, a family therapist, <clears throat> he wrote this book and, and a number of other ones um, as a as a Messianic Jew. And uh, just <clears throat> my admiration and, and pride is enormous for Russell. He's really a. Well, maybe we can get him on next. <laughs> well, my brother. Yeah, he lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Did so. you did you at the time recognize these people that turned up as an answer to your prayer? Or is that something you recognize in hindsight? And also, had you had dreams and visions before? Maybe not necessarily about Jesus. Or, or was this just something completely out of the blue? You'd never really experienced anything like that before. Well, that's a great question, Andrew, um, which, by the way, Andrew is my given name. Uh, it's still on my U.S. passport, so I'm, I'm very partial to Andrews. <laughs> well, brothers uh, by name and by beard as well. So yeah, that's, right. uh, that's good. Um, you can take your time to let it change to this color, by it, the way. It is gradually getting there. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, no hurry. No hurry. No, no. I'm trying to, trying to take my time. <laughs> I, I took the name Eitan because Andrew was impossible for Hebrew speakers to pronounce. It came out sounding Andrew. And, mm. and yeah. people's, people's face would go like that when they tried to pronounce it. So, <clears throat> so I, I had had the name Eitan in Hebrew class. 
when I was still in the States. And it, it, it has a kind of a comparable meaning. So uh, it's worked out really well. The, the question about did I recognize them as the answer to my prayer, <clears throat> I don't think immediately. But I will say this, that um, my, my mind and my heart were very open because of that process of, of searching uh, desperately that I spoke about. Um, and, and it also left me interested enough to give them a fair hearing. Uh, I would I would say it that way. In terms of there being <clears throat> earlier hints about Yeshua, yes, um, quite significantly, <clears throat> both from the occult world, uh, and of course, anybody that wants to appeal as if they have a spiritual answer are going to are going to count Jesus in there somewhere. They'll mm. they'll 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 add him into the mix because you you can't avoid him. You know, as a, whether you call him a guru or an ascended master, or, you know, there was a book called The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ. <clears throat> so even the astrological fans, you know, were trying to make use of him. Uh, but then there were several encounters that came along the way. Um, uh, a girlfriend of mine in college, her her family uh, came into a uh, kind of a spirit-filled experience. They were denominational Lutherans, but really, really came on fire uh, with the love of God uh, through through Jesus, and and that kind of lodged something in me. Even though at the time I was very resentful. Later on, a Baptist preacher came all the way out to our hippie commune. Uh, to to give us the good news, he even brought hymn books and he wore a tie and you know a suit. I mean, it was like sort of really, uh, <laughs> you know, if you could create a video or a movie of it, it would be absolutely hysterical. And yet the guys, the guys' dedication, you know, to try to reach us, you know, was certainly admirable. And there, there, I I felt something while he was talking. So. Hmm. Yeah, there were, and you know, I mean, if a person is a spiritual seeker um, and lets go of enough prejudice, there's no question that the life of Jesus, the life of Yeshua, uh, has to be reckoned with on, you know, on the stage of spiritual history. So, you know, just as a person that was looking for spiritual purity and truth and a way to be transformed on the inside. Uh, you know, I, I was meditating. I didn't want to be a selfish person anymore. I, I have to say that uh, there are still remnants of that selfishness, but, you know, we <laughs> the Lord keeps working with us. Um, but, but yeah, I, there was something that was being prepared. Hmm. You said something earlier um, about writing a letter to your mom and wishing you could have rewritten it. This is something that we, we have heard before. We have uh, Jewish friends of ours that have, have come to a faith in, in Yeshua. And one of the first things that we hear mm -hmm. is, do I have to tell my mum? Or mm -hmm. a concern about relaying this message to the mum. Uh, could you, it, is this something you could just explain a little bit? Why is it so significant, this concern for the mum we don't hear it about the dad 
but it's referring to the concern <laughs> about the mum. That's interesting. I, you know, in my case, uh, it was probably because my my mom and I had more of those philosophical discussions over the time of my growing up and teenage years and whatever than than I did with my dad. Uh, my dad was was a deep person also, uh, but he was less conversant. You know, it, it wasn't sort of the stuff of our relationship. He taught me to play baseball. He taught me to play golf. Um, uh, but but with my mom, we we would get into some fairly deep conversations during my teenage years. Um, so that was one thing. But another thing is that um, it's obviously a love. It's a love that we that we have uh, for our mothers who nurture us, and uh, obviously we want to share uh, when this most significant transformation happens, and we discover the truth of all truths um, that, that we want to, we want to convey that. I think there's a desire to uh, you know, not to make it sound too lofty, but to spend eternity, you know, with, with a person that brought us into the world, you know, for me, it, it wasn't that I wanted my mom to come to faith more than I wanted my dad, but I think my correspondence with her um, uh, allowed a little bit more of that, you know, of that intimacy or, or self-exposure, but it backfired, as I said. And, mm. you know, I don't know how many stories you've heard where, where people have related uh, an initial zeal, uh, you know, to have messed things up. I mean, it, it took me about 20 years to recover the favor of my sister um, in terms of, you know, blurting out, you know, what I was freshly... Uh, you know, what was exploding in my heart that I wanted to share, uh, but did so without wisdom. Ultimately, our relationship was was healed so much to the point that we walked through uh, our parents' later years with incredible um, connection heart to heart. She's, she's not yet a believer, though I've been praying for 49 years since I came to faith, and I'm still, I'm still trusting God to turn the light on for her. I love her very much. Well, that, the um, one moment that <clears throat> in, when we were in India, they were explaining to us there that they tell people when they come to faith in Yeshua not to say a word, but wait until they say what's happened to you. Hmm. And I thought there's a lot of wisdom in that and a big challenge. It means you've got to live it out before you open your mouth. But um, so many times we hear of Jewish people coming to faith, and I'm saying this very deliberately, in Jesus, being led to him by Christians, which is a good thing, a good thing. Amen. And they end up becoming Christians in the church, mm -hmm. right? Now, I'm not putting any of that down, meaning it, it doesn't matter, but I think there is a huge piece that's missing, and I think it's something that is being brought to light more and more. Now, how did you move from being caught up as being a Christian in the church to recognizing that actually you are Jewish and you have uh, you have one new man with us, but you have your own history 
and and to live out who you were created to be just as we are commanded to live out who we were created to be so can you tell us what what made that movement how did you end up not being pulled into the church well i i i love that question um Really, the key to it, uh, Daphne, was a, a revelatory moment. While I was reading the uh, the New Covenant account of the Last Supper, and, um, you know, you could call me slow on the uptake, but I just had not seen what that Last Supper was, you know, that it was Passover, yeah. that it was the Passover meal, and, and it's really, it's so obvious now that I think of it, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it, it's part of my story because nobody had pointed that out to me. Interestingly, I was in, in a Bible college, an evening Bible college. By that time, we had two little children, <clears throat> so I was working during the day to support the family, but I was eager to get training. I felt a call to ministry, so I was studying at night, but none of the teachers uh, had uh, really the the understanding of the, the continuity of the covenants, so the fact that the, the, the Old Testament or previous covenants and the New Covenant, New Testament, are integrally um, related to each other. You can't have one without the other. Nobody really addressed that. So I'm reading uh, about the Last Supper, and it dawns on me that this is Passover, and it was as if the light went on maybe only second to my salvation experience was that revelation profound life changing and 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 just so so impactful because in that moment i understood several things i understood that jesus and the disciples were jewish i understood that the 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 celebration of passover and the exodus story itself were integral to the gospel. I understood that there was a continuing identity and a purpose uh, in my celebrating uh, my, my Jewish heritage and my Jewish roots as a believer in Jesus. And, and the, the amazing thing is, and I know this is hard for, uh, for Jewish people to understand who don't know the Messiah yet, had it not been for Jesus, I would not have made that discovery. I would have continued as whatever, you know, a, a kind of a, a hippie mystic, okay? But the, the coming to faith in Yeshua without knowing <coughs> the reality of, of um, or the significance of, of him as the, as the Messiah of Israel and the connection with the Hebrew Scriptures um, then led to this this discovery, this revelation. And from that point on, and, and to my wife's credit, she also came, we, we embarked on a fresh part of our journey together to discover what does this mean? How, how are we supposed to live this out? And, you know, there was the obvious component of wanting to share our faith with other Jewish people in a way that would communicate with them. <clears throat> But our original inspiration was not evangelistic. Our original inspiration was, was life content. Okay, how, how did, what does this mean about, the, about our calendar? What does it mean about our, 
whatever. Uh, you know, are we are we supposed to adjust to the Levitical guidelines for what is, you know, what what does a person of Israel eat? And and there's no greater credit in what you eat or don't eat, but it's a matter of identifying with our people and realizing that the the Torah, or sometimes called the law of Moses, but the word law is really it's really problematic because it's not about a legal system. It's really about a way of life, which is a, a better translation of Torah. And, um, and, and reflecting God's faithfulness with our people. And so this journey began and it was, um, I guess it was like spring, maybe spring of 75, uh, 46 years ago, uh, more than 46 years ago that, we celebrated our first Passover as Messianic Jews. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I could go on and on about what happened, the implications of it. Ultimately, I mean, without that realization, we never would have arrived in Israel. Mm. That was going to be my next question. And mine. <laughs> um, so with this, um, how did you come to the point of returning to Israel or making Aliyah? Um, what was that journey? I, I know that Sometimes uh, we hear of Jewish people going to Israel and suddenly something inside them says this is home. Sometimes they haven't even gone. There's just this inner feeling that they're drawn to this location. Um, How did that play out for you? Um, It was uh, the result of a a message, a teaching uh, that someone was giving. Uh, So the chronology would be, uh, in 1972, October, we came to faith. As I just mentioned, the spring of 75 was uh, our first uh, celebration, our first experience of celebrating Passover as Messianic Jews. And then by the summer of, of 77, which wasn't that much longer, <coughs> I found myself in a conference in Kansas City uh, in America a, that was dedicated to the moving of God's Spirit throughout all of the denominational and, and, and cultural corners, uh, if you will, of the body of Christ. And um, I found myself in a session uh, with a, a woman who since became a very, very dear friend of ours together with her husband. This was Shira Sokaram, together with Ari Sokaram, the founders of Maoz Ministries, and um, really uh, people who have been significant in our lives and pioneers here in Israel in the congregational movement. Uh, she was talking about uh, teaching from the, from the prophetic books, from uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, <clears throat> about the return of the Jewish people who had been exiled from the land of Israel, of their end-time return, which is prophesied by all of, all of those major prophets and, and more. And, and in her presentation, she spoke about the vital necessity for there to be Jewish believers in Yeshua, in the land, during this restoration, and that that was part of the restoration. And while she spoke, I, I heard not an audible voice, but, but, <clears throat> but inside of myself, God speaking to me, and I don't, I don't use that phrase lightly. I know that sometimes it's overused, but I'm, I'm using it very soberly. <clears throat> Words like this, uh, you will one day live in Israel. This is your destiny. Mm. 
just that direct, 1977. So um, then 15 years elapsed. And during that 15 years, we're learning, we're living, we're uh, exploring, growing in what it means, uh, meeting lots of people, going to other conferences. And by the way, not, not really dragging our feet in terms of going to Israel. I'm convinced, <coughs> excuse me, that God had a purpose in our staying uh, in North America until that time that he deemed that we were ready. And, and why do I say that? Because we spent the last 11 years from 1981 to 1992 serving in a Messianic Jewish congregation in America, in the Washington, D.C. area, Beth Messiah, which was one of the pioneer congregations of the movement uh, under a, a, a wonderful man with whom I'm still uh, serving, Dan Juster. Uh, he's a and, friend of ours. Yes. And he's then a... and then uh, Asher Intrader and Paul Wilbur and I were ordained as elders on the same day in the spring of 1982. So our relationships were also part of what God was setting in place. Uh, and those relationships after 40 years are, are just as, as strong and wonderful as ever. Um, and so during, during that time from 1977 until Aliyah 1992, <clears throat> God was, I would say, training us, preparing us for what then would become, we had no way of knowing it, what would become uh, congregation planting in Israel, in the Hebrew language. And of course, we were raising our family. By the time we left for Israel in 92, we had two college-age children uh, who decided on their own to come with us and have since married fellow Israelis, and and uh, already uh, their oldest children are young adults and, and have blessed us with many grandchildren. Uh, but also a four-and-a-half-year-old, <clears throat> this was uh, 1992, and Connie, my dear wife, was six months pregnant with our fourth child, and she was 45 years old at the time. So I always say that she is the hero of the story, <laughs> not me. Wow. Um, but all of that time, I uh, also got into a radio ministry uh, for five years. I uh, had a show called Gates of Zion with Jeff Bernstein, and which we interviewed often uh, Jewish believers from Israel. And so part of the whole preparation was understanding <clears throat> the dynamic the realities of persecution, the challenges of being uh, a Jewish believer in Yeshua and living in Israel. So I, I know that God did not want us to go there naively. And then I'll just wrap, wrap up this answer by saying that we also understood along the way that uh, many Messianic Jews were economically challenged uh, here in the land. And so we, uh, we had relationships with uh, Jewish, Messianic Jewish and Christian businessmen who helped us eventually start businesses. Both Asher Intrader and myself <clears throat> founded businesses or bought businesses in our early years, in the early 90s here in, in Israel, which neither of us was a businessman. And uh, so we didn't, we didn't really endure the rigors of business in Israel, but it was an irreplaceable education in what it means uh, to live and, and work in this country. We often say to people, um, 
God might say to you something, you know what he says, but you need to figure out the when does he say to do it and how does he say to do it. And often we end up in all kinds of trouble because he says something and then we just go ahead and do something when and how we think it should be done and all the problems. And so it just took 15 years for your when and the how to to flesh out. Um, 100% true. Yeah, that's interesting. So can we leap forward now because um, until you're now on the Golan... Um, I'm right, aren't I? You're on now the Golan. You're now yes. on the Golan, right? Golan Rose. Yeah, you looked. I thought, oh my goodness, he's not on the Golan. He's somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on the Golan, um, and obviously there, there's a long story between the where you just finished to here. Can you talk to us about fields of wheat because this is something that. We are personally passionate about. We have been mm. tracking with you. But what you're doing there is, I, I said to Cody, who works with you, when you were having the, the young people's camp, if I could get on a plane and come and be part of it, I'd be right there. He said, come on. But there was just an issue of the border, <laughs> so I never made it. But please tell us about that. Um, I think it's hugely significant, isn't it, that you're possessing the land even on the Golan Heights? It is indeed. It is indeed. Um, well, a little bit of a, an introduction would be uh, that in, in planting congregations uh, over a couple of decades, I saw the need <coughs> for the young people uh, in our Hebrew-speaking congregational movement to understand themselves uh, as Israeli Jews, to understand the gospel uh, in its original Jewish context, and and thus to be equipped to respond uh, to their families, to the people of of their generation, to be witnesses, as it were, uh, you know, in this in this nation, which of course, as I I'm sure your viewers know, uh, there's not been an indigenous communication of the gospel of Yeshua uh, in Israel for nearly two thousand years. So you're talking about a huge communication challenge, and you're talking about a human movement uh, that's going against the tide of uh, incredible uh, years of, of dastardly persecution against the Jewish people at the hands of the Christian church, uh, which, praise God, in the year, era in which we live uh, is, is being radically changed. Uh, actually wrote a book being so touched by that, uh, called What About Us? The End Time Calling of Gentiles in Israel's Revival. And uh, mm. to uh, attempt to to work with this, there we go, work with the camera, that, uh, yeah, oh. there it is. So I was, um, I wanted to equip the young people. So we, we founded something called uh, Katsir, Harvest is what it means. Uh, in English, in order to equip young people uh, to be the leaders, the workers and leaders in the final harvest leading to Yeshua's return. <clears throat> Over the years, we were renting one facility after another. And by the way, these, these conferences uh, drew young people from as many as 40 different congregations. It wasn't just for our network. And uh, exciting things were happening, and we were seeing uh, young people's lives uh, really changed um, but I kept feeling the lack of, of a facility, and so 
uh, the years went by and I was, I was sitting at a large uh, facility here in Israel that's owned by an American denomination. And I just felt instinctively, strongly, just one of those moments of sensing God reaching into my heart and saying, Eitan, <clears throat> I want you to do something about this. Um, the, the young people of this country and, and your movement need uh, a place to have children's camps and youth conferences and, and family events. And so the Lord planted this seed in my heart that I've never been able to remove. <clears throat> um, and so we, we proceeded on a, on a journey. Uh, but along the way on that journey, the Lord ultimately uh, led us and, and took our, our eyes to the Golan Heights, which is a, a part of Israel that's in the far north. Interestingly, um, it is historically the last place, the last area where Messianic Jews were living. We're talking about the early centuries of this era, hmm. after <clears throat> the destruction of the temple, up into the, uh, the second and even uh, parts of the third century of, of this era, A.D., uh, there were Messianic Jewish communities there. So interestingly, uh, you know, God kind of led us a step at a time up into this area as we were looking for property. <clears throat> but in the meantime, we realized that our purpose and the central activity for which we needed a facility was the equipping of youth and young adults. So this youth ministry that you asked about earlier, uh, Daphne, uh, Katsir, which means harvest, which has now been going for 21 years, is now uh, under the umbrella of what we call fields of wheat. Why did we choose the name fields of wheat? <clears throat> because Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 9, uh, when there was this huge crowd of people gathered, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. He turned to the disciples and says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest, which in parentheses, I would say, that's him, that's, that's Yeshua, that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest field. That verse actually landed inside of me way back when I was a, a young believer, still in the mountains. And so this idea of there being an incredible harvest and in another place, Yeshua says that the harvest is the end of the age. Why would he say such a thing? Well, I believe it's because the compassion of God the Father is, is wanting to spread out through all the earth as we approach the time, uh, the end time judgments that are spoken of by the prophets, the book of Revelation, book of Matthew, <coughs> Luke, wherever the end times are spoken of, it's clear that God is judging evil in the world. He wants to cleanse the world and restore uh, that original place of blessing uh, and that original place of stewardship to, to, the, to the men and women who will follow him. So uh, this, this idea of the end times not only being um, sobering anticipation of, of judgments and plagues, etc., but of it being a, 
a motivating time to prepare young people uh, to shine with the light of Yeshua, to <clears throat> understand their faith, to walk in their faith, to be fully orbed believers uh, who will be able to convey the um, uh, the power of of God's love uh, into their generation and, and all those who are listen. And one extra factor in terms of, of the north part of Israel is that God had placed in our hearts separately, uh, all of us on the team, <coughs> excuse me, over time, a love and a burden for our Arab-believing brothers and sisters who are no less a part of the body of Christ than we are. And in fact, I believe that there's to be a, a testimony that goes out into all the world that the reconciliation that the United Nations and anybody else has not been able to achieve between Arab and Jew is profoundly achieved and eternally achieved uh, through Jesus, the Messiah. And so we want our young adult discipleship to reflect that. And uh, so we're, we're inviting together uh, young Jews and Arabs, uh, people in their 20s, the harvest uh, Katsir ministry is, is for teenagers, and the next step after that uh, is what we call harvesters, similar name, uh, indicating also that we're going to be equipping them. So that's a very long answer to your question, but uh, this is what we're doing on, on the Golan Heights. Well, to us, the fruit and the success of a ministry, and, and this may sound terribly judgmental, but it is what we live and breathe, is what you are imparting to the next generation. Because if you are not, it will die when you die. And and you burying your talent in the ground. I also, you know, I'm excited about the fact that a, a generation of young people are being equipped and rise, rising up in Israel because the gospel is meant to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And sadly, the church has destroyed that. You know, Jerusalem is where you live. It's you start where you live. And I'm like, since when did Jerusalem become the town where we live? And so the thought that, that from Israel will go out a generation who will be a part. I mean, we have mm. our part to do, who will be part of taking the gospel full circle from the place where it started back to see the king return. So. Which is, yes, which is <laughs> also home. echoed in, in Isaiah's words. Ki uh, Torah me that the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem uh, and, uh, and, and, and the, the good news will go forth. I'm doing a bad paraphrase because I'm, I'm also stirred up, Daphne. You got me going. Yeah, and I will say we, we are trying to do our part because we do have a thing called the Issachar Network where we have facilitators who are facilitating small groups to prepare an Issachar generation um, across the earth. And we have several groups coming out of Israel where there are facilitators from Israel are leading groups where people are in Singapore, they're in Malaysia, they're in Whoa. Dubai, they're China. all over the earth. In China, yes, we're about to launch, I think, two more groups, um, one from Haifa, uh, where the facilitators are in the land. 
And so, I mean, that's just... Different a, kind of expression. It's a kind of expression, but, but you know, I, I'm going to hand it over to you, Andrew, because I can't talk about this. She's right on the edge. I've, I've just finished. Talk about the next generation and talk about the return of Jesus. Put them together and I'm done. So yeah. you can have the next question. That's wonderful. In, in, the, in our conferences, we talk about... Um, that there are two groups of people responsible for raising raising the next generation. Biblically, we can only find two groups. One is that parents are the primary disciples of their kids. And the second is that one whole generation is responsible for the next. And uh, talking to you, I love uh, hearing your heart and your passion for that next generation, that this isn't this isn't a calling that you had to the next generation. This is you being obedient to that command to reach the next generation. Um, and you're talking about the importance of raising them for the end times, for the years which are ahead of us. Can you talk more about that? Because this world we live in right now is shifting so fast. The challenges just come faster and faster and faster. Can you talk a bit more about the, the importance of being intentional with how we reach, raise, we prepare this next generation for the years that are ahead? Mm. Uh, I'd be delighted to, and I'm, I'm turning in my Bible to a passage that, that you both know very well. Uh, the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the book of, of Malachi or Malachi, um, has this, this context um, talking about the end of days. Uh, it's the whole, the whole context of the, of the book. And uh, in the last verses of the entire Hebrew scriptures <clears throat> say this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and, day and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, what it means by Elijah the prophet, I think it's speaking about a generation more than about a specific person, uh, but that's, that's open to interpretation. But before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a, this is a very serious statement. And basically uh, what we could say is that God is so intentional about this intergenerational, it's a friendship, it's a nurturing, it's a, giving of inheritance, receiving inheritance, it's a mutual respect, <clears throat> and I predicate my uh, spiritual fathering and my, my family fathering and grandfathering on the idea of mutual respect. It's not just that the kids or the younger people need to respect me. I need to respect them, and they, and they will feel that, and I think that often uh, we don't project that as the elders of the tribe. Uh, but I have seen it be a key uh, to gaining the favor and gaining the hearts of, of young people because I, I don't discount them. I, I see them, I don't know, maybe it was because of, <coughs> excuse me, my craziness <coughs> when I was young and my desire to change the world that I, I identify that in them, identify with their idealism, identify with their sometimes confusion and, and trying to find themselves. But what, what this is, if I can sort of dive into the organic aspect of it, because it's very relational. 
And, uh, you know, I'm all for discipling patterns and, and books and workbooks and whatever you can find as a tool. But I believe that, that God uh, is at the, at the very base relational and that discipleship is a relationship rather than a lesson. And uh, where the apostle says you have many teachers, but not many fathers. And so fathering uh, involves a lot more responsibility than, than teaching. Teaching, you can give some material and go away. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're a dad, you don't go away. That's, you know, that's, that's, that relationship is in place. And this passage, I mean, how could it escape our notice that it's, these are, this is the last verse of the entire, what people call Old Testament. I prefer Tanakh or Hebrew scriptures, uh, but the, the earlier covenants. And then, and then it moves on. And interestingly, uh, and I don't know that I ever actually put this together quite so strongly or literally, the beginning of the New Covenant in Matthew also is talking about generations. The book of the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm. And so what, what we have here is God, I believe, first of all, <clears throat> that the Spirit of God loves restoration loves restoration of relationships, loves restoration of relationships of generations. And this is what the enemy hates. And so when I grew up in, in America in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was a time of real disillusion and isolation, and, and uh, the fabric of family was just, it was just coming apart. And I'm, I'm not saying that against my folks. They were, they were wonderful and loving. But we really didn't have extended family, uh, and I think that that's a result of the advance of technological civilization, that we need to, we need to somehow <clears throat> turn back to what's called in one part of the scripture, the, the ancient paths. And the ancient paths are much more relational, much more organic, much more, you have to spend time with each other. And, <clears throat> you know, I'll confess I don't always feel like I have the time, uh, you know, that somebody's asking for, that somebody needs. And yet I think that it's better to go deep with a few people than to be shallow with a whole lot of people. And uh, so that's, you know, that's part of the, the strategy and the consideration uh, of this issue of generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Young people are looking, I mean, they've told me this and I've read it, um, and and I and I believe I've seen uh, both the the deficit side and the and the and the fruitful side. <laughs> Young people are looking for moms and dads, um, and they're looking for someone who will patiently um, hold their life. Uh, as a sacred thing and not, not judge them, not that we're supposed to, uh, you know, be, be soft on sin or, or, or you know, say, oh, oh that's okay, but rather to, to really uh, cherish, to cherish those young people that God places in our life. And, and this is an issue of, of 
waiting on God. I mean, Yeshua himself, the master, <clears throat> took all night. And, and, uh, and, and, and God communicated to him, all right, here, here are the 12 guys I want you to work with. <clears throat> so if, if, the, if the master, the son of God, the Messiah, the ultimate teacher and discipler chose 12, you know, I, you know, I, I need to, I need to pay attention anyway, that I'm, that I'm not, you know, overreaching. Um, but I'll just, I'll just add one more element. Uh, and that is a word that gets overused, but is absolutely central. And, and that's the reality of love. God has loved us beyond measure. I saw it in Yeshua's eyes back in the mountains 49 years ago. And he wants to transmit that love through us. One time I was asking, this was here in Israel, asking the Lord, I, I don't feel like I'm reaching people the way I want to reach <clears throat> with Yeshua to help them find their Messiah. You know, help me out, God. And, and here was what the Lord, it was a, an odd answer. God answers things in weird ways sometimes. He said, he said, use your eyes. He said, I want you to love people through your eyes. Let, let my love pour out through you. Now, he didn't mean that I, I shouldn't say anything. But I think the message was this, that there is a, a transmission that we are built for. <clears throat> just like a, an electronic transmitter, anything that's, that's, that's putting out a signal, okay, is equipped, is, 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 uh, uh, it's wired, uh, it's, it's calibrated to be able to transmit a signal. And God has constructed us in his image that we can transmit that signal, that message of love. Wow. Um, there, there are so many things that you've said uh, that we could dive into, uh, but we will have to save that for another episode. Uh, Eitan, uh, thank you so much. We, we walk in similar circles. We have mutual friends. We've heard your name over the years, and uh, it's always been um, it, with a sense of, uh, of praise uh, and honoring you for, um, for all you've done. And thank you for being a, a fatherly figure in the Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, and thank you for taking the time to, to have a conversation with us. I know you're crazy busy, so thank you so much. Oh, my, my pleasure. I feel like it's, it's been very, very sweet, very upbuilding for us. You know, when we articulate these things, it, it uh, amplifies them for us. So uh, thank you. And uh, I never expected, you know, all, all of this to happen. So thank you for your honoring words. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm amazed at what God can do with, with a person's life. And, and that includes what he's doing through you guys. So God bless you. you and continue serving him. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.